0: The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven, high adventure camp in Western North Carolina. Go to SWOutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. 2 Samuel 7, 2 Samuel 7. We studied uh, a lot of David's life this week. We've looked at a lot of different stories and narratives. We've looked at his, his thought process in the Psalms. We looked at Psalm 23. And we saw um, da- the the heart that David has as a shepherd, and the way he perceives the heart that the Lord has for us. And um, Rob took us through a psalm on Wednesday morning, where we saw David in a in a time of dark or deep depression or anxiousness, anxiety. So we've gotten to really learn a lot about him. And we said on Monday night we were going to start at David as a little boy being brought out of the pasture where he was taking care of the sheep, and we were going to go through the point where he became king, where he got crowned as king. And so that's where we're going to land tonight. Now, let me give you a little background before we get into uh, 2 Samuel 7, um, and we're going to read actually 17 verses, what we're going to cover. Let me give you a little background. So, um, do you remember yesterday morning, Spencer took us through... Like this period of David's life, it was like a string of stories connected. I know, it, I know you guys have heard so much this week, and it all kind of runs together. You don't even remember who said what or which sermon was what, but remember we, we uh, went through that period of time where he was running from Saul, and then Saul was trying to kill him, and he became a fugitive, and then at one point he's got Goliath's sword. The whole story is just crazy. Okay, so he stayed. What happened? We're going to jump over some more stuff here to get to the point where he becomes king and what happened in the story is that david stayed a fugitive for for about a decade i mean it was a long time and then he became part like king of part of the kingdom so there's like he there's part of the kingdom says we're gonna follow david because saul dies he gets killed finally saul is off the scene and David becomes the king but then Saul has a son and some people that are faithful to Saul make him the the king of part of the kingdom it's kind of like a civil war a little bit um there's some some scraps and skirmishes but then eventually everybody's unified David is the king and for David to be the king what's happened is he has Yahweh has empowered him and blessed him and used him to subdue all of their enemies subdue all of their enemies and so um david has come into his position his rightful place that god has called him to he's now the king he's got the crown he's on the throne and he's the king that's where we're gonna pick the story up so let's start in uh second samuel uh chapter 7 verse 1 now it happened when the king inhabited his house and yahweh had given him rest on every side from all his enemies that the king said to nathan the prophet See now, I inhabit a house of cedar, but the ark of God inhabits tent curtains. So David's saying, uh, David goes, uh, he, he looks around, he's like, man, we're all, it's, everything's at peace, God has blessed me so much, he's taken good care of me, and then what he does is he thinks, and we, we do like this, he thinks, I need to do something back for God to kind of show him how much I appreciate him. And... Uh, so he goes to Nathan, now do y'all remember the name of the prophet that's been kind of in the story all along, Samuel and now Samuel has also died, okay, so Saul is dead, Samuel is dead there's a new prophet to go with the new king and that prophet's name is Nathan, so he appears in this story for the first time that we've seen him, well, no I guess the guy guys, y'all saw him on uh, Wednesday night, didn't you? when he comes and confronts David okay, so we did get a glimpse of that, so so Nathan um, is the new prophet. So David, he looks around. He's like, "Man, everything's good." He goes to uh, Nathan and he says, "I want to, I want, I want to build a house. I want to build a church." And and what he's doing is he's wanting to try to, you know, do something for the Lord. And this is an easy thing to to kind of slide into, but the scripture is really clear that you can't pay God back. You know, like like. The, the whole idea of the grace that God gives us in saving us is that we can't earn that grace and we can't pay it back. And so, um, and what he wants to do is he wants to build a house. And then um, he goes and tells Nathan, the prophet, kind of like, hey, what do you think about this idea? So Nathan said to the king, uh, verse 3, go do all that is in your heart for Yahweh is with you. So Nathan's like, yeah, I think it's a great idea, man. Go build a house and you put, put that project together. Verse 4, now it happened in the same night that the word of Yahweh came to Nathan saying, go and say to my servant David, thus says Yahweh, are you the one who would build me a house to inhabit? For I've not inhabited a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I've been going about in a tent, even in a tabernacle where I've gone about with all the sons of Israel. Did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So God's like, Nathan, hold up, hold up. Uh, I need you to walk that back. And so you, you remember today when David came to you and he was like, hey, man, I want to build a house for God. I want to build, this, I want to build a really cool church house, like make it out of cedar, like some really cool wood. That's some, cedar smells really good. It looks really cool. And he's like, I want to build this really cool building. It'll be a house for the Lord. And, uh, and then remember you told him, yeah, go ahead and do it. And Nathan's like, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's, yeah. and then God's like, well, I don't want him to do that. I don't, I, don't, I don't want him to do that. He's like, I don't need a house. I've never needed a house. I don't dwell in a house. I don't, like, I'm not confined to a special place. This is an important lesson for y'all because it, it, it's a good reminder that, that the special experience that you might have had with the Lord at Snowbird, it, there's nothing about Snowbird that makes you and Jesus uh, like in a unique relationship for the five days that you're here. Like, if, if you're a child of God and you're walking with Jesus, then he walks with you. Where we saw this last night. Like, he goes before you. He comes behind you. He's with you in every place that you go. And, um, and same thing would, would apply to church on Sunday. Like, we go to church. We worship at church on Sunday. It's an awesome time to come with God's people. There's something powerful about singing and worshiping the Lord together with all God's people. I love listening to y'all sing. And, uh, like, it's powerful. You know, like the voices being, we're all singing and worshiping the Lord together. We got people from states all over, like from people. We got people this week literally from all over. And so it's like all these people coming together, worshiping the Lord in one place. That's cool. But God is like, okay, that's awesome, but I don't need a building. In fact, think of this, think of this. The last event that I came to in this building before SWO bought it. You know what it was? Uh, So... Um, no. <laughs> but that was a thing at one point. Who said Hillbilly Mall? Okay, how do you know that word? That was, what it was. that was what we were calling it. So this building over here was an indoor flea market called, rightly, the Hillbilly Mall. Okay. And this was like a concert venue. And I came to the uh, Western North Carolina Tough Woman Contest. <laughs> it's like a girl's. They had a guy one, but there was a girl that worked in the SWO kitchen. Her name was Carrie. You did not want to mess with her. She straight up won first place. She was knocking girls out left and right. They had a, back there where we got our sound booth, they had a boxing ring. And these girls could enter this thing there were about a thousand rednecks in here drinking beer screaming and these girls walking up there and i mean these girls were some dude girls you know like they were like i'm fixing to throw somebody like and they're fighting and our girl carrie she worked in the swole kitchen and she like yeah i knew she was bad but until that night she was cranking them man like she was throwing haymakers and girls were like like this you know and people are screaming and cussing and throwing beer and like that was in this building now just think about this tonight we have lifted our voices to the lord and and praise so there is nothing special about a building y'all understand what i'm saying like every other religion in the world is like oh when you come into the when you come into our temple you got to take off your shoes well then i ain't gonna worship that guy because i ain't taking my boots off like you know what i'm saying like i ain't trying to go to church in my sock feet Like, like there's all these weird rules. Like if you come to worship our God, you must ring this bell and put a dot on your face. I'm like, nope, not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Like, I don't understand what's going on when there's like a special, unique structure, right? God's like, no, man, like I'm, i i meet with my people, meet with my people. Now, this doesn't mean that we should disrespect the, the house of worship that you go to on Sunday. God gave you a really cool church to worship in. But let's be honest, there's a bunch of churches here that don't even meet in a church. They meet in a school cafeteria. They meet in a school auditorium. They meet in a movie theater. We, this summer, we've had churches come through here that meet in theaters, uh, hotel conference rooms, um, uh, community college um, classrooms, auditoriums. Like, like, so the building is not the thing. The building's not the thing. God dwells in the heart of his people. And God sees that David's about to go down this path where he's going to become really super focused on let's make this religious structure. And God's like, no, walk that back, Nathan. So he tells Nathan to just chill on that one and walk it back. Verse eight. So now, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says Yahweh of hosts, I myself took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel he's like remind him that he was out there taking care of sheep and I met with him there like I was meeting with him when he was playing his music writing his psalms of and hymns of poetry and worship and', I, and we're, like he's in his thoughts he's in his head watching those sheep drawing parallels worshiping the Lord I was with him there remember that tell him to remember that And I have been with you wherever you have gone. I was with him when he fought Goliath. I was with him when Saul was trying to kill him. I was with him when Abigail interceded. That We looked out on Wednesday night, ladies. I was with him every step of the way. He's like, I've been with him, which goes back to something we talked about this week, that the Lord is going to be with you even in difficult times. I think people get tripped up and they're like, if God loves me, if Jesus loves me, if he's so powerful, then why do I have to go through a hard time? Well, the point is he goes through it with you. He equips you, he puts his spirit in you, and he goes through the hard thing with you. And so he's like, remind David of that. I will make, and he says in verse uh, 9, and I've been with you wherever you've gone, have cut off all your enemies from before you. He's like, I was with you to defeat your enemies, and now you're like established as this powerful kingdom. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them that they may dwell in their own place and not be disturbed again. And the unrighteous will not afflict them anymore as formerly. He's like, I'm going to establish my people and the enemies. As long as you walk with me, the enemies of, of my people are not going to bother them anymore. Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Yahweh also declares to you that Yahweh will make a house for you. So he's like, he's like not only are you not going to make a house for me, In fact, I'm actually going to make a house for you. I'm going to establish you. I'm going to build a house for you, and not just a physical house, but like a family line. It's going to matter in history. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up one of your seed after you who will come forth from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He's like, I'm going to give you a son. You're going to die. I'm going to raise up a son who's going to be the next king. Saul died and someone other than his son became king. But David, when you die, your son's going to become king. If I could know, people like, if if you could have any promise, what would it be? I'll tell you, if I could have any wish or promise, it would be that 25, 30, 40, 50 years from now, my sons, daughters, grandsons, granddaughters will be walking with Jesus. I don't care. I don't care what money they make. I don't care what education they get. Some of y'all ain't gonna go to college. Some of y'all don't need to go to college. Cause you're like me. You ain't good in the classroom. They they attach letters to your condition. Mine was called ADHD. I don't know what letters they attach to your condition, but I can tell you school was like education was important, but fishing was importanter for me. Like you know what I mean? Like that was important in high school. i some of the worst whoopings I got was for skipping school and going fishing, like man oh man like so but some of you are going to go do great things you're going to become engineers you're going to become doctors you're going to become nurses school teachers pastors missionaries leaders some of you are going to learn the skills and the trades and you're going to go learn how to weld or or be uh work work in the construction field or auto mechanics some of you are going to say you know what i just want to raise my kids and be at home whatever The most important prayer that we have for you is that you walk with Jesus from now until you see Jesus, eyeball to eyeball, face to face, looking at him and beholding him. That's what I want for you. I don't care if you make minimum wage the rest of your life. I don't care. If you're happy and you're walking with Jesus, it's going to be all right. And he's like, so God gives him the greatest promise that the Lord could ever make to a father. He's like, I'm going to give you a son. And that son's going to walk with Jesus, and I'm going to establish him a, a throne and a house. He's talking about his son Solomon, I think. Verse 13, he should build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He's like, your son? Now, he is going to build a temple, but that's a different story for another day. I will be a father to him. He'll be a son to me when he commits iniquity. I will reprove him with the rod of men and the... And the um, and the strikes from the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not be removed from him as I removed it from Saul, whom, uh, whom I removed from before you. Now here's the here's key verse. And your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So we end our story this week looking at verse 16. Our last few minutes together, looking at verse 16. Why would he say, I'm going to establish your throne forever when we know from history that the throne of David's line disintegrated within just a few generations? In fact, Israel became slaves to a nation called Babylon part of them became slaves to an empire called the Assyrian Empire, the rest to the empire called the Babylonian Empire, and, and, and it would be, there would never be another true king that would sit on the throne of David after that. So why would he say in verse 16, your throne shall be established forever, because what if he's not talking about an earthly throne? Y'all get, y'all feel me? What if he's talking about something that's bigger than this world this time and this place? What if he's talking about something that spans outside of time and into eternity? What if he's talking about a throne in heaven in a kingdom that will never end and the son of David that sits on that throne is an eternal son of David? What if he's talking about Jesus and the throne Is a spiritual throne in this life that will give way to a literal physical throne in eternity before we unpack this let me say one thing to to you right now look at me i want you to particularly pay attention if at this point in the week you're an unbeliever you're an agnostic that means you don't know what the truth is and you're not willing to accept any truth you profess to be an atheist which i would i would hypothesize you're not an atheist that's just a cool thing to say these days there's no such thing as an atheist An atheist is someone who says there is no God, but everyone worships something. You worship what you give your affection to. You worship what you draw your identity from. That's your God, so you're not an atheist. Philosophically, when you become a person who puts your hope and your trust into a thing, a system, a person, an endeavor, that becomes what you worship. We're all worshipers. And look at me and listen closely if you're not a believer. There is coming a day when every one of us will come before this eternal throne of David and the scripture says that Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead and in Philippians 2 it says every knee will bow there's about 750 people in this room right now 750 knees will bow times 2 both knees on the ground before the throne of Jesus and say this Jesus you are Lord and give glory to God. That's the throne he's talking about. Now for those of us that are in Christ. It's already on ain't it. I, like I do that every day. Like I'll be, I'll be driving down the road. Like Jesus you the boss man. You the boss man. And other times I'm like stretched out praying. And begging him to like, 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 like pour his spirit out. And like, like, like that's a relationship that you have. But for those of you that are still not believing. I want you to know that you will believe. But you can believe now. So why does he say this throne will last forever, and how do we know that he's talking about the throne of Jesus? Well, let's look at some New Testament passages. Luke 1, verses 32 and 33 in the ESV says this, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. What's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. This Luke 1, 32 and 33 is Mary is carrying Jesus in her belly. And the prophecy made about Jesus is that he will sit on the throne of his father David. But we know that in his earthly life Jesus did not sit on the throne. But the Bible tells us he has taken his rightful place at the right hand of the father. Ascended to and exalted to the throne of heaven. So Jesus is the one who would fulfill the promise to David. What does that look like for Jesus to be on this throne? Well, Jesus has dominion over everything. He has dominion over everything in heaven and on earth. He's the king of kings sitting on the eternal throne of David. David's throne was just an earthly throne that would be an example or a replica of what the heavenly throne would be like. David was a type of Christ. Colossians 1, 15 and 16 speaks of this dominion. Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him Ephesians 1 20 to 21 God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Hebrews 1. Three to four. He is the radiance, as Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has, an inhe- has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So he's, all these verses, Jesus has dominion, Jesus has majesty, Jesus is Lord. All of these verses were written after the ascension of Jesus, a thousand years after the promise to David. In Jude 24 and 25, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So here's some thoughts, on, on, particularly on that last one. Jude 24 and 25 it says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, the phrase, I am convinced, is a phrase that Paul uses to talk about the confidence he has in his salvation and in the Lord's ability to do all that he intends to do. There's a very powerful and confidence-building reality that I live with as a believer when I can say that I know that God is able. He's able to save me. He was able to build and create the world and a million galaxies by simply speaking them into existence. He was able to speak through prophets over a period of thousands of years, promising that he would come into the world to save people. And he did it exactly as each prophet had predicted. He was able to leave his throne and enter into humanity as a poor baby in a poor family. He was able to endure temptation in every way as intensely as we ever will, yet he did not sin. He was able to call and empower weak uneducated, and ill-equipped men and women to follow him and then to change the world through these men and women. He was able to conquer blindness, deafness, and every known disease, and to stop hunger and famine. He's able to demand the worship of every man, boy, woman, girl, king, peasant, and human who has ever lived, yet he himself bows to no man, nor has he ever, nor will he ever. He was able to lay his life down and to take it up again. He controlled weather hurricanes, monsoons, blizzards, famine, drought, tornadoes, hailstorms, heat, cold, tsunamis, and he still controls it. Jesus has authority over meteor showers, eclipses, shooting stars, and summer storms like the one we saw last night that fill the sky with a cosmic spiderweb of lightning and the thunder rumbles so deep in your chest that you can feel it reverberate. Jesus is Lord and King over that. And scientists will tell us that if the earth tilted one degree on its axis. Everyone would either freeze to death instantly or burn alive with the intensity of heat. But Jesus holds all things together in place. Jesus is God. And he's able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask of him, according to Ephesians 3.20. He's able to shut the mouths of lions, silence the roar of Satan. He's able to walk on the surface of water. He's able to ascend and descend and ascend to the very throne of heaven. He's able and worthy to take his rightful place on that throne and receive the worship of angels and the exaltation of the heavenly hosts. He's able to crush earthly kingdoms as he crushed the head of the serpent and to build a heavenly kingdom that will never end. Jesus has the authority to call the dead out of their grave. He is able to bring that which is dead to life and he himself literally conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave and Jesus chooses to love me and he chooses to love you. Jesus saved me and he's able to keep me from stumbling praise the Lord some people will say that I could walk away from Jesus that I could lose my salvation but the Bible says it's not my salvation to begin with it's his salvation he gave it to me it's the gift of eternal life because he's able to provide it because he wants to provide it because he loves me and Jesus loves you and he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete and finish that work and the gates of hell and the schemes of the devil and the lies of the world will not stop him because our God is able revelation chapter 19 says this then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse this is the next time we see Jesus get ready this is what you're going to see this is what I'm going to see now when you you're i like, never seen Jesus you're fixing to At some point in the future, this is what you're going to see. I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is the greater king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the greater David. And he's worthy of our praise and honor and obedience and worship. He's worth talking about and bragging on. And he's more valuable than the greatest treasures, technological advances. He holds the future, present and past and he holds all things together. And you are good and you are righteous if he declares it and you have a purpose and he has a plan for you and I want you to go live that out. Don't listen to the world's lies, listen to the truth and the truth of Jesus will set you free. So let's take four things that we've learned this week about David ending in this idea that Jesus is the ultimate, greater and final David. Let me give you four concluding thoughts. The first one is this, that we've learned from David this week. David teaches us and shows us how to worship the Lord in all things. He worships the Lord in his highest moments in life. He worships the Lord in his lowest moments. He worships the Lord when he sins and fails and lets the Lord down and turns his back on God and makes a mockery of his faith. He worships the Lord through repentance. Which is a turning from his sin turning back to the Lord. He worships the Lord when God blesses him with material blessing or spiritual blessing He worships the Lord in all things and whatever we do. We can worship the Lord The second thing he teaches us is that David shows us what it's like to fight the Lord's battles to fight the Lord's battles the, the David fights for the for a lot of David's life. He fights literal battles against literal enemies but We fight a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We wrestle a spiritual wrestling match. We fight a spiritual fight. We box against a spiritual enemy. We draw the sword of the spirit and we go to war against something that is unseen in the philosophical realm, in the spiritual realm, in the emotional realm, but you are a warrior, and God is the one who has equipped you and armed you with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to fight your own battles, to win the war for your mind, to live as one who is overwhelmingly going to conquer, as Romans 8 says. That in Christ and through Christ we overwhelmingly conquer. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says this, The weapons we fight with are not of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we bring into captivity every thought to make it obedient to Jesus Christ. We fight a spiritual war in the mind, in the heart, and for the things that matter to God. The third thing he teaches us is that we're to advance the kingdom. David advanced a physical kingdom. It was also an ideological kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom in one sense, but he grew the borders of Israel. We are advancing the greater kingdom, the kingdom of the gospel. When Jesus came into the world, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. The throne I sit on is bigger than the throne of this world. And he calls us into action and he says, go into that world and advance the kingdom. Preach the gospel throughout the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, he says, go to the ends of the earth and preach the gospel. Acts 1, he says, you'll receive power to do that. Be about the work that God's called us to of advancing the kingdom. And the last thing David shows us is how to love people. David is a man who loves the heart of God. Way back in 1 Samuel 13, we didn't study this this week, but there was a verse where uh, the Lord spoke to Samuel And he said, I'm removing Saul. He's not going to be the king anymore. David's going to be the king. He doesn't yet use his name David, but he says something else. He says, a man after my own heart is going to be the man I raised up to be the king. David's heart was for the Lord. And if your heart is for the Lord, you'll care about other people. You'll love other people. David shows an incredible act of kindness. At one point, it's it's two chapters later, 2 Samuel chapter 9, when there's a man uh, who has been crippled and, and broken from an accident, and he's a descendant. He's a grandson of Saul, the king. And in those days, you would kill all of the descendants of an enemy king. But David goes and makes Mephibosheth, is that guy's name, makes him his own son, brings him into his house, gives him a seat at his table, makes him wealthy, and restores his name because he's a man who loves people the way he writes about sheep the way he sees people before the lord the way the lord sees people david sees them and his heart is aligned with the heart of god we got to love people the way david loved people do all these things knowing that in your failures the steadfast love of the lord will carry you and the forgiveness and mercy of the lord will endure for all of your life as they have for and through all generations thanks for listening We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.